Let us pray. Father, you are indeed the Lord of the harvest. So fix our eyes upon the fields that are ripe to harvest and lead us in your will. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here this morning. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them or um, grab the, pew, the Bible from under your pew and turn to the 10th chapter of St. Luke's Gospel, which will be our focus this morning, primarily focusing on verses 1 through 12 of Luke 10, although our reading this morning extended to verse 20. Frankly, it's just way too much ground to cover in one sermon and give it... Um, fair treatment. So um, maybe in three years when the lectionary cycle comes around again, you'll get the second half. But today's reading picks up where we left off at the end of Luke 9 last Sunday. And the two passages are clearly similar or connected in several ways. First, as Jesus point, appoints the 72 elders and sends them on ahead of him in verse 1 of Luke 10, this is similar to the pattern we see la that we saw last week in Luke 9 verse 52 where Jesus sent messengers ahead of him into the Samaritan village. Second, just as the disciples are taught by Jesus how to handle rejection by the residents of Samaria in Luke 9, 51 through 56, similarly in Luke 10, verses 10 through 11, Jesus instructs the 72 who are being sent out to expect rejection by some people, and he also instructs them how they should respond to this rejection. Luke 10, 1 through 12 is, is a profoundly missional text of Scripture. All set in the midst, remember, of Jesus continuing to move toward the fulfillment of his mission as Messiah, as the Savior of the world in Jerusalem. Luke 10 is also a passage of Scripture jam-packed with God's instruction for us as together we continue to discern his call on our lives both individually and together as a church family. As I say so often when we look at scriptures, the God-given principles in this passage are timeless. They speak to God's people in every generation just as pointedly and profoundly as they spoke to the 72 in that moment when Jesus commissioned them and sent them out. And looking at what Jesus says here, there are three key points relating to mission to Christ's mission through his disciples that I want us to explore together this morning. First, there is the nature of the mission in verses 1 through 4. To be clear, this was a broader group of disciples and did not include the 12 apostles. When Luke writes 72 others, the word used here for others is heteros, meaning different. It's where we get our prefix hetero from in English, clearly meaning different. Next, we see the very core purpose of this mission. Look at verse 2 with me. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There is urgency here, not of human rushing or being impetuous, Rather, it is a God-ordained urgency in the moment. The harvest is plentiful. 
a harvest is a window of opportunity when crops ripen to that momentary point of perfection. In my growing up years, especially high school and college, and even into young adulthood, excuse me one second, get this adjusted better. I worked on my cousin's dairy farm. I worked there a lot growing up, and they milked at the time about 250 Holstein cows, which is a lot of cows to take care of and a lot of cows to milk, any of you that have lived or worked on a farm. And I will say, um, I loved working there, but I will say that um, even though I worked really hard in construction, I never worked anywhere near as hard or as long anywhere else in my life as I did on that farm. I mean, the standard work day for my cousins is about 16 hours, and that's seven days a week, 365 days a year. Those of you who have grown up on farms know what I'm talking about. But one of the things I learned on the farm was with the corn that they raised to feed their cattle. Now, whether it was the whole plant being chopped for silage or whether it was letting the ears ripen to where they were, the field corn was hard so it could be ground up for grain, there was a, there was a precise window. If you chopped the corn or harvested the corn too early, it was too moist. If you did it too late, it was too dry, too dry, and you needed just the right moisture content and the right stage of maturity to maximize the nutritional benefits of that crop for the livestock. And you had a window of a couple weeks for that harvest. The farming imagery that Jesus employs here in, in Luke for the hour of urgency, which is something that the 72 would have clearly understood in a culture that was agrarian. And they also are told that a bumper crop awaits them despite the rejection of the message by some. John Nolan in his commentary on this text says this, the harvest imagery carries a sense of urgency. Harvest will not wait the pleasure of the harvesters. With every harvest, there is a critical window. There is the risk if we don't step into that critical moment of squandering much of the produce. Everything, going back to the illustration of my cousin's dairy farm, everything depends on timing. On harvesting at just the right moment. Nolan continues, all depends on the initiative of the farm owner, not the laborers who must take responsibility for orchestrating the harvest. Looking at a spiritual harvest, in other words, there is that God-ordained moment or window of time when the crops are ripe for the harvest. There are two words in the Greek for, for time. You have chronos, which is what we get our word chronological from. And there is also kairos time, that God moment. And the harvest, the spiritual harvest that awaits God's people is one of those kairos moments in time appointed by God when the harvest is ripe to perfection. And in relation to that, I want to speak for a moment about what I believe God is preparing us for as a church. And this is not hype. These are not nice thoughts. This is something that I truly believe with all my heart. I believe we're on the cusp of one of those God-ordained moments or seasons of harvest. God is preparing the fields, preparing the crop. 
And in such a moment as God has prepared the fields, they are ripe for the picking. They are ripe for the harvest. And I look at our community, and I know I talk about Woodbridge and Dale City a lot, but God has brought literally the nations of the world to our doorstep from every continent. And we hear word now to expect a surge of Ukrainian refugees in the near future. God has brought the world to us right here in our neighborhood. And even to quote, go back to the Nolan quote again, there's urgency. Harvest will not wait the pleasure of the harvesters. The late Haddon Robinson, who is in a category with people like John Stott in the second half of the 20th century in terms of the number of people that he trained in preaching, his book Biblical Preaching is still one of the standards, wrote an article on preaching today that in part said this, a kind of arithmetic has been spawned in the counting rooms of hell. This kind of arithmetic is always interested in reaching the masses, but somehow never gets down to a man or woman. This kind of arithmetic always talks about winning the world for God, but doesn't think much about winning a neighborhood for God. That arithmetic make it, makes it valiant to cross oceans and never really crosses streets. Now, Hatton Robinson was not opposed to world missions. Please understand. But the point is, so often we can stay up in this theoretical realm, talk about people and nations. And it starts in our neighborhood. It starts with one person at a time whose God has prepared and made ripe for the harvest. And it connects very directly with some of the things I spoke about in my sermon last Sunday. Because if we're to be attuned to God and prepared to reap the harvest, we must not be conformed to this world's ways of being and not to this world's way of viewing things and doing things. We must be conformed daily evermore to Christ, to his character, and we must see our lives aligned with the priorities of his eternal kingdom. We must lay, lay aside the lore, as we talked about last Sunday, the hollow, empty power of this world. And in exchange for those things that we lay aside, receive a real infusion of the divine power of God to accomplish his mission and to accomplish his purposes. We need a God-infused, Holy Spirit-breathed, refocusing on Jesus, on Jesus' call to us to be his disciples, and refocusing on the only means by which people will ever be transformed, and that is the power of Jesus Christ himself, and nothing, nothing else. Brothers and sisters, this, this conf being conformed to Christ is not an option for us. We must have God's power. We must, if we are to be used by God, walk in obedience to the priorities of God's heart. But how do we know? How do we discern God's moment, God's timing. Not that we shouldn't be sharing the gospel and living out the gospel as individuals and as a church family all the time, but how, we de how do we determine those kairos moments that God gives? Well, we see the answer to this in verse 2 also. Look at verse 2 again with me. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly. How do we discern the times? How do we discern the moments? By prayer. By hearing and discerning the heart and the voice and the will of God. We know that it is a given that God's will is for people to come to truly know Christ. We know that it is God's will for us to be his witnesses. But what about those unique God-given moments when he has made the harvest particularly ripe? We are to pray. And as we do, as we seek God, as in prayer our lives and the life of this church are more fully aligned with God, we have the assurance that he will use us. He will raise up laborers from among us and from among those he will bring into this church family. We must pray. We must discern. We must rely on God. And then we need to be prepared to step out in accordance with God's will. Prayer will lead to action. And we must be surrendered to full and complete dependence on God and his provision to accomplish God's task. The final thing we see here is that sending is a powerful God-infused event or moment. Again, completely contrary to the world's ways of doing things and dependent upon Christ, upon God, upon Christ who is our good shepherd. Look at verse 4. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. At its very core, brothers and sisters, this is God's mission. And we are his laborers under his direction. And we must trust in his leading, in his guidance, and in his protection amidst risk and danger. It's interesting here that knapsack, we all know what a knapsack is. In verse 4, a knapsack refers to a pack that an ancient itinerant preacher would have carried, and in it would have been his pack of supplies. A knapsack, in a sense here, points to self-sufficiency and independence. And Jesus says to the 72, and he says to us, no more that. You must learn to trust me and my supply for the mission which I am calling you to. Let me lead and direct you. Remember, I am your good shepherd. Remember St. John's, the words of Jesus in St. John's Gospel, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them away. But in contrast, our Lord will be with us and he will protect us and he will guide us. And then continuing in verse 27 of John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they will follow me. Are we willing to follow Christ into the mission field that he is calling us to? The nature of this mission 
requires discerning God's heart, God's timing, and moving in God's power. Second, we have the priority of the mission. Look at verses 5 through 7 with me. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. If we back up at the end of verse 4, Jesus says to greet no one on the road. Now, Jesus is not telling his followers to be rude. Instead, this speaks of the urgency of God's call and that we are not to allow ourselves to be distracted from God's mission until we arrive to the place or the point of harvest he is calling us to. In other words, until we arrive to the field which God has ripened and prepared. But when we reach that God-appointed time and place, look how we are to greet people. Peace be to this house. And this is not simply a formality or a nicety. We are God's ambassadors. Think about that. We are called and made in Christ to be God's ambassadors. Agents, ambassadors of his kingdom, not of this world. And what we bring as we enter the field of harvest, which God has prepared for us, what we bring is nothing less than the life of God himself and the offer of peace with God through Jesus Christ. Gerald Box says this in his commentary on this passage. This benediction or blessing is no trivial matter. It is the beseeching of God's favor for someone. The disciples' mission is likewise no trivial matter. Blessing or lack of it lies in their message. Now we need to be clear how the message is received how the heroes respond is not yours and mine to control. That's not our responsibility. However, we need to stay close to God, prayerfully attuned to him, lest we risk skewing or misrepresenting the message, lest we risk misrepresenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, I want to connect it back to last week and all of this ancillary stuff, if you will, that somewhere along the way, so many Christians have allowed to be added on or heaped on. We need to lay aside personal agendas. We need to lay aside earthly temporal agendas. If we're to truly represent Christ, there can be nothing of self, nothing of self-will to skew the message that we share, the message that we speak. We are called to represent Christ in this world. And that is an incredibly serious or sobering thing, an awesome thing to ponder. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 11, St. Paul says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. Did you hear that? Knowing the fear of the Lord. Understanding our awesome, weighty, God-ordained responsibility. We persuade others. 
what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And then in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, he says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore to you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That has to be our heart's cry to those we share the gospel with, those we encounter, those we come alongside of and walk with, to hear their story, to pour into their lives. And finally, we have the proclamation of the mission. In reality, proclamation permeates this entire passage of Scripture. It permeates everything we've looked at this morning. But verses 8 through 12, especially verses 8 and 9, focus on the message like a laser beam. The kingdom of God has come near through Jesus. And while we are on, if you will, the other side of the cross of resurrection, our proclamation is very much in continuity with the words of John the Baptist just before Jesus' baptism. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in Jesus' words in verse 9 here, the kingdom of God has come near to you. What happens when people ripe for the harvest open themselves to Christ, to his transforming power and to his kingdom? We see God's transforming power at work. It is evident to those around. People are transformed. Formed. People are set free. Families and marriages are healed. God breaks in and heals people physically and delivers people and does other wonderful things, working his good work in people's lives for the glory of his name. But it's not just an individualistic thing. As God's transforming powers at work in people's lives and is evident for everyone to see, as God's kingdom breaks in, Afresh as a reality, neighborhoods are transformed. Again, remember what Haddon Robinson talked about. Seeing people, seeing neighborhoods transformed. Crime rates dropped. Gang violence and activity decline. Racial and cultural prejudices and biases are overcome. And all kinds of wonderful, other wonderful God-breathed things. Yes, there are those who will reject the gospel. But we in God's grace and God's power must continue in fidelity to Christ and to the priorities of his kingdom. Again, to quote Daryl Bach, people are culpable for their decision in this crucial time and thus judgment comes against them. The kingdom comes, hear this, the kingdom comes regardless of their response. They've missed out because of their refusal. In our New Testament reading today from Galatians 6, 9, St. Paul exhorts us, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due time, or in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. We are to be steadfast. We are not to grow weary in doing the work and the will of God. And in due time, we will reap. In God's time, we will see a harvest. The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers 
into his harvest. We are to have the eyes and the mind and the heart of God. We are to pray together to discern his will and his timing, to trust God, then to respond and move out in his timing, laying aside, casting aside intentionally hindrances, personal preferences, and our agenda so that our eyes are fixed on God and on his heart for this community, that people would be transformed and set free. Let us pray. Father, we give you great thanks that you love us so much that you have called us to yourself. You have redeemed us and made us new creations through Jesus Christ. And Father, we marvel. We marvel at the reality that you choose people such as us to be the ambassadors of your kingdom in this world. And indeed, Lord, as we seek you, and your presence comes among us and goes with us, the kingdom of God is indeed at hand through the presence and the power of God, the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, fix our eyes on you, and through you, Lord, fix our eyes on the harvest that you are preparing for us. And, Lord, may we, by your grace and power, not trusting in anything of this world or the plans of human beings, may we trust in you and may we step out in holy boldness to see your will accomplished, to see hearts and lives and communities transformed. And may we not grow weary, but may, may we be continually infused with your grace and your power. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.